I want to start by asking you a question. Here it is. When was the last time you felt like you were on a winning team? Now, I'm not just talking about sports. I'm talking about in your life. I'm talking about in your home, in your family, in your place of work, in your community. How about in your church? To be honest with you, I love being a part of a team. And part of this stems back to my childhood. I grew up as a missionary's kid in Thailand and a pastor's kid, and so we moved around a lot. And if I'm totally honest, a lot of the time I felt like an outsider looking in. I didn't really feel like I ever fit in anywhere, but it was through sports by being a part of a team that I was able to put those differences aside and be focused on something greater to accomplish a goal, and I felt that is where I belonged. And if I'm totally honest, that's why I played sports as a kid. To be honest, that's why I coach. And if I'm completely honest, as I was reflecting on it this week, it's why I'm a pastor. Because I just want to be a part of God's winning team. And the question we've been asking in this series is, well, how do you do that? And the word is unity. Actually, the term I want to use today is focused diversity. I want you to hold on to that because I'm going to revisit that. Focused diversity. And so the whole goal of this series has been How does unity work? How can we explore and figure it out in our own lives and in our churches and even among our churches? And so in week number one, Pastor Jeff did an amazing job talking about Jesus's prayer that we would be one as he and the Father were one. It's this idea that the vision of Jesus was that we would be united. And then last week, Pastor Andrew talked about belonging. And this is the what of unity. It's it's what it's supposed to look like. But today I want to talk to you about the why. Because there's, let's be honest, okay? <laughs> this sounds like a great idea, and it's not a new idea. It's not a new concept. We all kind of intuitively know we should be more united, but it's really hard work, right? And so the question I want to ask today and answer today is, why should we push so hard for this? And here's my response. Because I believe that the only hope for this broken world is the love of Jesus, And the only way to model that love is by being united. This is why Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would be one as he and the Father were one. But I want to back up a little bit to John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, Jesus said in verses 34 and 35, so if you have have your Bibles, you can turn with me there, or if it's on your uh, mobile device, here's what he says in John 13, 34, 35. He said, I'm giving you a new command. So this, this isn't an option. This isn't some philosophical idea. This isn't a nice idea or a good idea. No, he says, this is a command. You must love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And I got to pause there for a second because I was really convicted on that. The question I had to ask myself is, do I really love every other follower of Jesus in our community and in the world the way Jesus has loved me? And then he goes even further. He says, your love for one another will do what? It's going to prove something. It's going to prove to the world that you are my disciples. And again, I had to pause there because I had to ask myself this honest, sincere, convicting question. Is it possible that in the Niagara region, in Canada, in the world, there are not as many disciples of Jesus simply because we haven't modeled this kind of love? I got thinking, is it possible? that the reason that our world is so broken is because they don't know how to love and they have nowhere to look for what this love looks like. And so Jesus says, you got to love one another. Now, I love, I love the Greek. And so our one another, those two words in English are actually one Greek word, and it's alelon. 
And it's actually used 100 times in the New Testament. 100 times it says, do something for one another. It says, encourage one another, forgive one another, don't judge one another. <laughs> Whoa, that's a good one. Don't tolerate one another, serve one another. Even four times it talks about kissing, which, okay, wait, this is why we always have to read the Bible in its context. I'll let your own pastors unpack that for you. But <laughs> context is everything. But this is so important that it's used 100 times. So for me, that says we better pay attention to what this one another really is. And here's what I'm learning. Basically this, you can't express what you haven't experienced. The truth is, the reason more people aren't, in my opinion, experiencing God's love is because, or expressing God's love is because they actually haven't experienced it for themselves. And I also realize that when you truly experience something amazing, you have no option to but to express it. Do you remember when you got engaged? Do you remember when you found out you were having that child? Do you remember when you got that promotion or remember that hobby that you keep talking about? When you really have experienced something and it grips you, you have no option but to express it. And so here's what I'm learning, that unity is so important because it is the mechanism for which love is to be expressed. I got to think about my own relationships and I realized that unity moves our relationships from the superficial to the supernatural. And here's what I mean by that. I don't know what your relationships are like, but I know that every one of my relationships eventually, inevitably, reaches an impasse. And what I mean by that is, in the initial stages, of course, relationship, it's fun, and it is a bit superficial, um, and then you find common interests and common ground. But inevitably, in every relationship, there comes a point. It's a tipping point, a breaking point, where you have to make the decision, am I willing to pursue this relationship even if I'm in conflict, even if I don't agree, even if it doesn't serve me? And as I got to think about our North American context, I realized most of us either settle for superficial relationships because it's too hard to really push through, or we just ditch our relationships. And what the Bible is saying is, if you do that, you're going to miss the beauty, the power of what unity really was meant to do. It's the only way that you're going to reclaim your families. It's the only way that you're going to reclaim your marriages. It's the only way that you're going to reclaim your communities and your church. The world is desperately waiting for followers of Jesus to love the way Jesus commanded us to love because it's the only hope this world has. In a superficial world, in a world that's plastic, it's the only way to penetrate deep to the heart, to the real part of you that matters, to God and to this world. So why don't we, why don't we experience this? If this is what we were supposed to experience, this is what we were built for, what's missing? Well, I want to turn, if you turn with me to Romans chapter 14 to unpack that. Pastor Jeff talked a little bit about it, but I'd like to talk a little bit more about it. And in Romans chapter 14, there's, there's a big problem because there's a lot of strong convictions. Now, I don't know what it's like necessarily in your church community, but I know in our church community, sometimes people have differences of opinion. I just, I know it's crazy, but every once in a while that does happen. And these strong convictions can quickly become divisive. They can become division when we don't know how to navigate them. And so again, the superficial would tell you, oh, just compromise, just put your conviction aside. Or on the other hand, the superficial would say, don't worry about the relationship. You just bull your way through this, even if it hurts them. So what if there was another way? And this is what Paul was really after in the book of Romans. And so in Romans 14, 
Paul calls his, the followers of Jesus to realign around a vision. Remember, I talked about focused diversity. That yes, there's gonna be diversity, but it has to be focused on something. And the focus isn't me. The focus isn't even gonna necessarily be conformity. The focus is always Jesus. So here's what he says in Romans chapter 14. <laughs> and this is gonna be hard. It's one of those things, easy to read, really hard to apply. He says, accept other believers. No matter what church they go to, no matter what their theological background, no matter what their attitude, preferences, accept other believers who are weak in faith. I, I love this weak in faith because the irony is that those who think they're the strongest are actually the ones he's talking about. And don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Oh my goodness, like let's just stop for a second. Okay, read the last social media posts that you've seen from people in the church world. Do not argue about what they think is right or wrong. In this context, it was meat versus vegetables. It was what holy days you were allowed to celebrate. In 1 Corinthians, it was meat sacrificed to idols. Basically, they were arguing about politics and about theology and about practice. And Paul is saying, you gotta accept people regardless of their perspective on these things. And so those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do for God has accepted them. So I was trying to think, how do we contextualize this? Uh, okay, those who feel free to vote left, those who feel free to vote right, those who feel free to whatever. I mean, when we actually apply this, it's really hard. But here's the application. The application, I believe, is first that we have to celebrate diversity. The Bible says in Proverbs, it's like iron sharpening iron, that actually conflict is a good and healthy thing if done properly. Now, I know I got to unpack diversity because that's such a loaded word right now. And I'm not using diversity the way identity politics in our world uses it at all. Because here's what they do, okay? Identity politics leverages diversity to bring division. And here's what I mean by that. If you're in the political sphere, you're trying to divide camps so you get your camp to vote for you, not for the other guy. It's, it's a divisive tool. It's, it's a way of separating people, labeling them, branding them, identifying them as other, that you're not them. And that's the problem with identity politics because it's divisive. And if I'm totally honest, we sometimes do the same thing in the church. We give ourselves a label that divides us, separates us. We're not them. We want to make sure it's clear we're not them. But I actually think the diversity that here is in the Bible is leveraging diversity for beauty. Here's what I mean by that, okay? Now think about the uh, the African uh, safari, right? Um, if you've ever seen that, and you see a predator, uh, the first thing a predator will do is separate the weak from the herd. Because when the herd sticks together, when there's unity, they can't get their prey. It's in dividing that they win. It's that term divide and conquer. But there's another way diversity can be used, and it's the way that an artist understands diversity. An artist understands that, yeah, it'd be pretty boring uh, to paint just a picture one color. It would be really boring if you're a musician to just play one note, right? There needs to be some diversity. You can't have a, a baseball team, a hockey team, any kind of team without some kind of diversity of different positions and different roles. It, it's the same in work. It's, the truth is that diversity either brings beauty, if it's understood properly, or division, if it's used as a power play to get what you want. So I think what Paul is talking about here is focused diversity. So I tried to apply that in my own life. I was thinking, okay, how does that work? Well, I don't know what it's like in your family, but I have three kids, and I've tried my best to teach them to think independently, to be autonomous. 
The, the downside of that is they are diverse. And the downside to that is that sometimes they argue with me. They disagree with me. They have a different perspective. And I used to think that it was a negative, that my job as a dad was to get them to f- shape up and fit into a box. And I've realized that's absolutely wrong. That's how the world plays the game. That my role was actually to celebrate that and to champion that and to encourage that because together that diversity actually makes us more beautiful. Or think about your spouse um, or your significant other. Uh, The truth is that there are things that really irritate you about them, right? That they do, that irritate you. And, And by the way, it works the other way too. But the truth is those are the things you need in your life. The very things that irritate you usually I've learned for me are the things I need. I like to just kind of fly by the seat of my pants. My wife's very organized. And even though that bugs me sometimes, I need that desperately. She makes me better. See, I could see that as a divisive thing. Oh, I'm an introvert. You're an extrovert. Uh, I'm unorganized. You're organized. Whatever it is, and that divides us. Or, boy, I need that because I'm better when you're like that. Or you think about your friends, right? When your friend tells you the truth, usually it's in sarcasm in Canadian context and it hurts. What do you do with that? Often we let it divide us. It becomes a, a, a barrier. But what if we actually allowed the truth to be spoken and we, we became better? I was even thinking of, of, of our enemies. I mean, those people who are a pain and in the words of Forrest Gump, our buttocks, right? Those people who just drive us crazy. What if they're actually a gift to draw things out of us that wouldn't come out if we weren't in that context? This is what we can see. See, here's the thing. You can choose to celebrate diversity by seeing it as beautiful as opposed as an opportunity to get your way. You see, what Paul's gonna remind us in Romans is that whatever you decide to do, whatever you decide to do, whoever you decide to vote for, whatever your theological position on whatever, if you do it to honor Jesus and to others, you're gonna be okay. Here's what he says in verse five. He says, you should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord. So they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. See, what he's talking about here is the motivation, why you want to do those things. And if that's right, it's okay. We don't have to fight about it. For we don't live for ourselves and die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor God. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, what church we go to, what denominational tag we have, whatever idea, but it is living a life of goodness and peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit. So, okay, we celebrate diversity, but for what reason? Well, so that we can stay focused on the goal. And what's the goal? The goal is to go into all the world and preach this good news that there's a God who loves you regardless of your idiosyncrasies, regardless of your differences, regardless, there's a God who chooses you. He loves you. Even when you blow it, even when you don't have it right, even when you vote for the wrong party, he loves you. Even when you turn your back on him, he loves you. And all he asks in return is that we love others the same way. It's so beautiful and so powerful and so difficult. So what he's saying in this passage is respect others' convictions by uniting around the essentials. Listen, we're going to have differences. I get that. Um, And and the truth is that we're going to have to find some way to heal. I know those of you watching maybe know someone in another context, another church who hurt you, maybe betrayed you. 
maybe took advantage of you in a business deal. And I know it's hard, right? Maybe they argued with you about something or they caused a lot of hurt or pain or maybe they left and went somewhere else. I don't know, whatever it is. I just know that we need to heal in this area and we need to learn to love again because that's the only hope this world has. This isn't an option. This is a command because God loved us. And it's the only way we're going to change the world. No political government, no system, no worship style, no building is ever going to do it. It's only the love of God. And the love of God must be modeled in how we treat one another. And I know some people are like, well, that just means I have to conform and, and compromise. No, it doesn't. Jesus reminds us of this. Actually, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus was willing to even let aside, set aside some of his divinity so that he could become one of us. It wasn't that he compromised. He didn't become less God. He just chose to set some things aside for the greater good. And yes, it cost him everything. That's why Jesus said, if you really want to live in this way, you got to pick up your cross and follow me. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, there are going to be times when you don't think you can do it or want to do it, but that's what love demands. It's what love demands. And when you doubt it, just look to me. I will show you. And here's the greatest part of this whole thing. If you ever get stuck, if you ever don't, if you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to resolve this. Can I just remind you that Jesus solved it already? He said, love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. You know what? If we could just, for the sake of beauty and for the sake of the vision and mission of Jesus for this world, just put all of our rules into that context and anything that didn't fit that, we put aside, we would be so much better. And I actually think we'd be so much more attractive to this world that needs God's love that we possess. And so he goes on to say in verse 18, if you serve Christ with this attitude, if you're willing to do this, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. And I just want to close with this thought. It's this idea that could you imagine what could happen if we as followers of Jesus dug deep into this concept of love, of unity, of focused diversity. Could you imagine what could happen if instead of using our diversity as an opportunity to divide, rather saw it as an opportunity for beauty and strength? Could you imagine what would happen if we stayed focused on what we're really trying to do? It's not who we're against or who's right and who's wrong. It's how can we let more people know about this amazing love? Imagine what would happen if in our families we really loved this way. Listen, you want to win your kids back? We want, we want to see a generation saved and preserved? we got to love this way. Imagine if our marriages reflected this kind of love, that even in the difficult times, we stuck with it. We, we were willing to work through the hard stuff to get past the superficial relationship into the supernatural. Imagine if we did this in our communities and imagine if we did it in our churches. This is why I love Pastor Jeff and Andrew so much because they have that heartbeat and whenever we get together, it's a beautiful and it's a powerful thing. And I guess the tragedy is that on the other side of that, statistically, if we were to look at families and marriages and communities and churches, we're no different than the world. Statistically speaking, we don't love any better. And I know this sounds harsh, and I'm not trying to mean it in a condemning way. It's just a convicting way. We need to change. And maybe holiness isn't about what we do. It's actually about who we are. 
And maybe who we are is loved by God so that we can love others. See, you can't express what you haven't experienced. But when you have experienced it, you have no chance but to express it. And this is why Jesus said, and I close with this idea, in John 13, 34 to 35, I'm giving you a new command. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will do what? It will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And so can I ask you just three closing questions? The first is, have you really experienced God's amazing love for you? Maybe there's some of you watching, and if you're honest, this is kind of new to you, or, or you stumbled across this, or maybe you've been going to church all your life, but if you're really honest, You've never actually felt like you belong, that you are loved. Could I just encourage you today that there's a God who loves you? And how do you receive that love? You just ask for it. You just believe that it's possible. It's the word we call faith. You believe that there's a God who loves you and created you and has purpose for you. And so if you haven't experienced God's love today, my hope for you is that you just ask and that wherever you're watching this from, your home, your heart would be flooded, would be filled with his amazing love for you. He loved you so much that he died for you. And then second question is, are you really expressing God's love? I had to really think about that this week. I had to really think, Bill, do you really express God's love the way you're designed to do it? And if I'm honest, I don't. I don't. I still have my pride and my prejudice and my preferences. And I ask God, God, show me how to love the way you want me to love because I do honestly believe it's the only hope of the world. And then the final question is, are you willing to be a part of a community of faith that will do whatever it takes to see love win. See, I think for many people, we're looking for a community of faith that believes exactly everything we believe. We're looking for a community of faith of people who are just like us. We're looking for a community of faith that whatever, that fits our needs and our agenda and our ideals. And that's not how this works. A community of faith is a group of people who, although they are different, choose, they surrender to one another for the greater good that this world might know that there's a God of love. See, that is what it truly means to be his church. And this is how we honor the prayer of Jesus, that you and I, we the church, would be one as he and his father were one.